0: Hello, I am Sebastian Marshall, and welcome to the Ultra Working Podcast. Uh, We're going to have a rather abstract show today, and for better or worse, it's a show that's going to build on a bunch of different premises. So we're going to introduce a number of different concepts, and then it's all going to come together at the end. So I, I don't know if this is a good show to listen to for five minutes here and there when you're waiting in line. Um, It's also going to be pretty abstract with a potentially novel and interesting takeaway and way to think about the world that I haven't heard anyone advance this idea before, but it's pretty abstract. So, I mean, I almost feel like after doing this show, I owe you sometime in the next couple of episodes something that's just hyper practical, (laughs) just really straightforward. Uh, Here's how to get the job done on something. So, it'll be really abstract little philosophical, if that's not your jam, maybe this episode's not your jam. Doesn't hurt my feelings at all. Um, But if you like some abstract thought and and you like to get out there a little bit, this might be quite interesting. So, all right, let's begin. Uh, First off, I want to talk very briefly about taxonomy. Um, Taxonomy, here's Wikipedia, the practice and science of classification of things or concepts, including the principles that underlie such classification. It's uh, from an ancient Greek word, taxis, means arrangement, and onomy is method. So it's a method for arranging things, right? So, you know, astronomy is like a method for studying the stars. Taxonomy is a method of arranging things, all right? So a lot of times people get into really kind of, I don't want to say dumb arguments, but a lot of times somebody kind of loses the plot when, when two people are having a discussion and they don't realize they're having a taxonomy discussion, right? Taxonomy is, is, does not play as nicely as physics or mathematics. It's about how you classify things, right? So, you know, in the, in the current standard, you know, here's how it's generally done, uh, biological, taxonomy, classification, and, and biology. Um, dolphins and whales are not fish, right? They're mammals because they give birth to their young live, not, uh, not through eggs. Now, I would contend, <laughs> I would contend that there's a completely valid taxonomy um, that might look at... Uh, you know, that might look at, you know, a dominant lifestyle or habitat instead that would group whales and dolphins um, alongside fish and octopus in one category, right? And we do actually have categories for that, like marine life, right? But the dominant thing to say that a dolphin, a whale is a mammal, but you know, you look at that and it's kind of like, all right, Humans are mammals, dogs are mammals, dolphins are mammals, fish are not mammals, you know, so you can define mammal, right, and it's species that gives birth to its young life, then it's correct, right, then it's correct, just you observe, dolphin, yep, it's mammal, sheep, mammal, human, mammal, whale, mammal, salmon, not a mammal, eggs, right? And likewise, birds, you know, um, penguins, a bird, can't fly. Um, at different times, people use different taxonomies. Aristotle tended to group things, uh, by, uh, you know, what they did, right? So, uh, penguin might not have been, I don't think Aristotle ever met a penguin, but if he did, it might not have been classified as a bird. Um, might've, might not have. Uh, likewise, there's some perfectly valid groupings that have dolphins and fish doing similar things. Um, so it's taxonomy, right? It's, it's, there are, you know, more and less accurate ways to do it. And you can say things correctly or incorrectly. And especially if you want to talk uh, about you know, genetics and genetic descent, you know, post Darwin, and then especially, uh, you know, post, uh, Watson and Crick, um, like, yeah, there's, there's some correct things in here. There's, you know, if you made a category of, like, animals that are cute, uh, puppies, human babies, but not adult humans, uh, dolphins, uh, this type of catfish, but not this other type of fish, I'm like, okay, that'd be a little bit, I mean, you could do it, but it'd be a little bit, you know, not that informative or useful, um, and and maybe not necessarily that scientific. Nevertheless, once you get into... Um, having arguments about taxonomy, right? Should a given practice be regarded as security, for instance, right? So, you know, in a hospital, right, should hygiene fall under uh, the uh, security? I mean, on the one hand, it's like kind of a correct, you could say, yeah, you know, I mean, it's one of the chief dangers in a hospital is that it's unhygienic, somebody gets an infection or or some uh, infectious disease spreads. On the other hand, you could say, well, you know, mostly security officers are going to be, uh, you know, protecting physical spaces and, uh, you know, ensuring there's there's access to things correctly and that the right doors are locked, the medical cabinets are locked so nobody can break in and steal some drugs or whatever. But then you get to these interesting border conditions about like, you know, like what if you need to screen people immediately when they come in, if there's like a a, a, a pandemic going on, maybe a, more virulent pandemic than, than COVID, something like Ebola. Um, that might be a cooperation between whoever's normally on hygiene and whoever's on security. And people get into these arguments about like, well, should hygiene be considered part of security or not? And it's like, well, that's the thing about taxonomy is that there's, you know, not necessarily right answers. I mean, once you define things a certain way, there can be right answers. Um, but, you can look at things in, in different ways and classifying and group things in different ways. This is like super boring, but occasionally quite important, and occasionally something really interesting and valuable comes of it. So some of the stuff I'm going to say later uh, might be a little different than the way you've heard it or have experienced in the past. I would say most of that is taxonomic. I, I'd say it's mostly classification thing, and I'm saying. Yeah, I think we could classify this thing this way, right? And like, I think the way I'm saying it's valid. I think it's like correct. You could disagree that it's useful. You could disagree that it's practical. But I don't. I don't think you could say like, oh, that's valid, or he's he's contradicting himself. I'm not. You know, I'm not saying a fish is a mammal, and a mammal is already defined as, you know, uh, gives birth to its young live. I'm saying, hey, maybe marine life is a better classification than mammal. Maybe, maybe not. Um, So, okay, a lot of these arguments are going to be related to taxonomy. If they seem unusual, it's because I'm playing around with classifying things a little differently than usual to see if anything jumps out and is interesting. Okay, taxonomy, moving right along. Um, Next up, I'm going to drive by really quickly aesthetics, right? So if you have a little bit of a passing familiarity, with this you already know what i'm talking about and if i'm forced to define it and nuance it and caveat it then we'd be talking about it for an hour or two or three or four or five or ten uh which is not the point um and yet it's kind of important so aesthetics I, i feel you know i'm an amateur historian and sometimes i mess around with it a little bit I feel like aesthetics was a, a, a reasonably well-settled thing maybe a hundred years ago. It's like beauty and taste, right? And then there came a bunch of interesting kind of philosophical schools that said a bunch of true premises, right? Like, oh, this is true, this is true, this is true, this is true, all of which was true. Um, and then they, like, just made these, like, wildly, like, over-extrapolated claims, many of which were false and bizarre and ridiculous. And and this kind of threw a bit of an upheaval into it. And, and I feel like there's really some kind of muddled and, and mixed thinking around aesthetics right now if you try to really get deep into it and actually say or do any interesting work in it. Um, I, I'm really just going to use the most common layman's definition, which is that, you know, things can be more beautiful and pleasing. Um, I will leave it to you to decide whether there's universal components to aesthetics that are always more beautiful or better, or whether it's completely subjective. Um, if you're in the completely subjective camp, which a lot of people are these days, you are like up against the, uh, you're up against a long, long, long run. Of historical thinkers, I'm, I'm just making the simple claim here, which is that you know, you take someone like a like a Caravaggio, the painter. Some of his work is first off, Caravaggio's an amazing artist; he's incredible. But but second, it's yeah, it's pretty gory, it's pretty dark. You could say you you like it or you don't like it. Um, but within its category, some of Caravaggio's works are just regarded better than others for a variety of reasons, you know. The subject matter, the composition, the technical execution on it, the perspective, and, and so on and so forth. I mean, certainly we could say that the different artworks have a better or worse rendering of perspective. Um, sometimes people mess with perspective a little bit. They get it almost perfectly correct, but then tweak it. Da Vinci was famous for that and uh, and, and did stuff like that. But setting all that aside for a second, um, I, I will give you one of the, the ways that I evaluate and judge art, which is I separate out um, what the piece is going for. It's even hard to make statements around this that that are not going to be philosophically poked at. I separate out what a piece is going for and then how technically well executed um, it is. And so that lets me make statements like, you know, Picasso was an amazing technical artist, and yet I think he's Incredible! I think he's the most overrated artist of all time. Um, sometimes people say, "What Picasso, the most overrated artist of all time? He's the greatest artist of all time." I'm like, what? And people are like, "Oh yeah, huh?" I, I mean, certainly, you know, for somebody to be the most overrated, a lot of people would have to rank them at or near the top of greatness, right? Why is this? Yeah, Picasso was an incredibly technically skilled guy, but I mean, his contemporaries when he was putting out some of his 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 cubism were like. This art is like a bad joke. I think that was Matisse said that. <laughs> this is like a bad joke. And like, you look at it, and, and you know, if you're not trying to ape the upper classes and act patrician, oh, look at this, as you could clearly see. Like, this is an ugly piece of art. This is ugly, this is awful. Um, I don't like this. Um, it's incredibly well executed, um, the same way that like a horror movie that's very ugly can be incredibly well executed. But, you know, doesn't mean, I have to like it. Um, so like whatever I like, it's not what I like, right? Likewise, you know, there's genres of music. Um, I don't really like extremely strong, like death metal, hard hard rock. Um, I could get into it enough and look at the patterns of it to say this is a particularly well executed piece in there, but it's still not my thing. Uh, country music, I don't dislike it, but it's not my thing either. Um, You could say that some pieces of country are better executed than others, I would say, on a technical level, but it's not my thing. Um, And and, and so on down the road, right? But, all right, set all that aside. You have your own personal taste. We can leave it up in the air a little bit as to whether, you know, whether you can make a claim that that somebody that everybody would regard as kind of a second-rate, boring, renaissance-era artist doing kind of boring compositions that, that really had nothing special or interesting about them, whether anybody could say that those measure up to, say, Raphael with the School of Athens. Um, I mean, the School of Athens is cool, like, I, I, I don't know, Look like, I, I mean, you might even be able to go as far as so say School of Athens is getting pretty close to objectively cool, but maybe not. I mean, it's inherently subjective, right? But in terms of, like, picking a thing, doing something interesting, doing a good job with it, the balance, the color, the blah, blah, blah. Um, whatever aesthetics. So some stuff's more beautiful, at least to you. Some stuff you like more, at least to you. Maybe some stuff is better, at least within category. might not be able to say a country song is better than a death metal song, right? You might not be able to say that, you know, Jackson Pollock is better or worse than Rembrandt. Um, but you can certainly say that you know rembrandt is better than some of his contemporaries that painted in the same school I, I think but if you disagree all right all good um nevertheless some things are more beautiful and pleasing some things are less beautiful and pleasing at least to you maybe there's a universality in, in, in it i think there is at least a little bit at least within categories of with similar stuff trying to do similar stuff but whatever okay some stuff's more beautiful some stuff's less beautiful all right so we've got aesthetics Probably We could talk about that a lot longer but we're going to keep moving. All right, now let's talk about sensory perception a little bit and your senses. Uh, so the classical five senses are sight, hearing, smell, taste, touch. Um, I happen to think it's one of those taxonomic arguments. I can't even be wrong. Um, but I happen to think that there's more than five senses, and I don't. I don't mean anything bizarre like you know telepathy or anything. I mean uh, literally, I think um, I think sense of balance is a sense. The fluid in your inner ears. If that's not a sense, what is it, right? And it's it's the fluid in your inner ears. It's a different it's a different sense. So okay, we're at six already, right? I personally would classify um, like a background uh, kind of passive touch sense, like your clothing on your skin, um, from like you know like grabbing a doorknob with your hand grabbing a fork and like, especially like when you go to like touch something I'd be like, what is this like? You know, if you like felt the grain of a wood, like press down with your fingers and felt the grain of a wood. Um, I would classify that to like a very light touch and kind of like a very firm touch, you know, like the really passive background, uh, touch on the skin, um, to like a really firmer touch. I would call those different. Um, interesting taxonomic argument that we're not going to get into today. Some of the Buddhists, um, consider the brain as a sense organ, right, that is, uh, perceiving thoughts. Kind of interesting. We're not going there. but It's kind of interesting. All right. Almost all the information you get is from your senses, and then you could do some stuff with it, move it around and whatever, um, and think about it more. Um, there's some stuff that's just true independently of your senses. It's not a very long list, um, looks a lot like logic. And mathematics a priori true stuff it's a short list um, interesting question about how we choose our axioms and primitives not going there either uh, once you have those though you can get a equals a identity a does not equal not a non contradiction you know once you uh, you know map uh, once you map some uh, something to quantities so once you have numbers then you can say okay one plus one equals two and so on that's just true if we ever uh, meet a very advanced alien race from a different galaxy a lot of things could be different about them Um, they might have incredibly different chemistry of their planets they might have incredibly different reproduction information storage communication language customs government everything could be different about them, the way they conceive of energy, the way they trade and store value. Like A lot of things could be very, very different, but I think their mathematics are highly likely to be close to exactly the same as ours. Um, maybe not on a base 10 system, but probably, actually, maybe. It really seems to work pretty well. Maybe not, but even if it wasn't, you could convert between them pretty easily. Math is true. You know, logic is true. Maybe they've skipped a couple branches here and there. Maybe they know some stuff that we don't, maybe we know some stuff that they don't, but uh, yeah, this stuff is just true. But it's not a very long list of stuff. Um, The logic and and math list relative to to everything. Um, So with everything else, you're getting it through your senses. You know, that's the seeing stuff, hearing stuff, smelling stuff, and so on, Um, as well as I would say, things like a sense of balance, Interesting as to whether time-passing is a sense or not. I mean, you're sensing it, you can feel time-passing, right? whatever. Interesting whether picking up your own bodily signals can be a sense in certain cases or not. But, setting all that aside for a second, most of the information you're getting, almost all of it actually is coming through your senses. And, this gets to where we start to get into the interesting territory. Okay, we'll put it all together in a moment. So I'm about to make a taxonomic argument. I can't even be wrong. That's wrong. No, it's not. (laughs) Right? And I'm not even sure I believe it. It's just really interesting to think about. So, all right. We all have moods that we experience. You know, some days you're feeling great. You're feeling excited. You're feeling happy. You're, You're really just, you're in it. Some days you're feeling joyful. You just want to jump up and down. Some days you're cheerful. Some days you're energetic. Some days you're not. Some days you're a little bit maybe down in the dumps, a little bit tired, a little bit distracted, a little bit not dialed in. You know, um, we all experience mood. Because mood is one of the kind of primary ways that we experience the world, right? It's it's a pretty essential part of our experience um, as humans. You're more or less always experiencing it to a greater or lesser extent when you're conscious. Uh, because of that, we make it like this thing. Like, oh, why am I in a good mood? Why am I in a bad mood? What's going on? I mean, you know, right? And sometimes you don't notice it. And oftentimes it's a really good thing when you don't notice it. You're just, you're just in the moment. You're doing cool stuff, whatever. And, uh, and, and other times you notice it a lot. And you're like, man, why am, I, why am I blah today? What's going on here? So we make mood this big thing. People spend a lot of time thinking about it, a lot of time talking about it. Even when you don't realize you're thinking about it or talking about it, you're spending a lot of time thinking about it and talking about it usually. Um, Even when you're not explicitly thinking about it or talking about it, you're implicitly engaging with it a lot and a lot of the activities you do are to go change your mood. Here's an interesting taxonomic argument. Can't even be wrong. You can say it's not useful, but it can't be wrong. What if we classified mood as another regulatory system of your body? I'll say that again. What if we just classified mood, your mood, as another regulatory system of the body? Right, you got your circulatory system, it's moving blood around, you got the various components of your immune system, You know, if any kind of foreign substances get in the body, you got the blood cells, you got the red blood cells, the white blood cells, and whatever. You know, you got your digestive system, you eat some stuff, you got got that getting broken down in your stomach and your intestines, getting absorbed in different things, excretion down the road. You got all these systems in your body that regulate your body, keep you in homeostasis, keep you alive. What if mood's just another one of them? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? What if it was just another system? Right? Because we directly experience mood, and usually when we're healthy, for most people, we don't directly experience circulation. Right? If you you know, if you have a medical condition, we have problems with your circulation, you might be very aware of it, where you know parts of your body are getting cold, blood's not circulating well, or you might be right, some very sensitive people have more perceptive to their to their circulatory system. I've heard, I think it's a very small number of people. Most of us don't know, we don't, we don't feel our blood moving around, we don't think about our blood moving around most of the time. It's just kind of, just happens, right? I mean, heck, most of the time, most of us aren't thinking about our breathing, we're just breathing without thinking about it, right? But your mood, you're, yeah, pretty aware of a lot of the time, right? So we make mood in this like own special category, right? People talk about, oh, you got your immune system, you got your circulatory system, you got your lymph system, you got your digestive system. You they don't talk about having your Mood system. They don't. Seems like it's a special thing. What if it's not? What if Mood is just another regulatory system? I can already anticipate the top 20, 30, 50 objections I'd get to this. I'm not going to cover all of them, but probably thought about it. And the first one, just the, but. but what about the first one is that your your regulatory systems go haywire all the frigging time. <laughs> right? Your your regulatory systems do a bad job all the time. Not not all the time. It, commonly. Regulatory systems of people commonly do a bad job. Right? And and there's a few reasons for that. One of them is that the the body is it's a very complex system. It can get out of whack. Right. So, you know. Think about somebody that's having an allergic reaction, right? An allergic reaction um, to, uh, you know, to just some some harmless pollen in the air, or to pollution, where your body's getting all inflamed and, and tearing itself up, and then we sometimes will take anti-inflammatory uh, drugs or antihistamines or whatever to stop that, right? So your, you know, uh, the, the, your regulatory systems around, you know, allergies and reactions to, you know, foreign substances you're interacting with can go haywire, duh, right. Um, at other times, at other times, you know, your immune system, regulatory system of the body, uh, you know, it's supposed to react more or less appropriately, um, if you get ill, but sometimes. People can get into what's called a cytokine storm. Your body produces cytokines; uh, it's an immune response in response to some some certain foreign you know foreign content like a virus, and uh, the body can go haywire, overproduce these, and they start kind of start tearing your own body apart. It's a pretty serious medical thing that has to be dealt with if it happens. It's a regulatory system going haywire. Um, so, just because your mood is not always doing what you would like it to do, doesn't mean that, you know, it's not a regulatory system, your regulatory systems are not perfect. All right, next up, but, you know, hey, regulatory systems just work without us, you know, uh, doing anything. The mood is very interactive, and, well, I mean, it's, it's, that's true to a greater or lesser extent, but you know, you can control the pace that you eat food and whether you drink water with it or stuff, which influences your digestive system. You know, when we get a vaccine, right, that's actually triggering, um, you know, certain biological processes and systems you, so you build up antibodies. So we can certainly influence these subtle, hard to influence systems that way. So that's a thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, Your mood seems like it's, to some extent, you know, more and less under your control than some of these other ones, and there you go. Um, Another one would be, well, hey, but mood seems more inconsistent, You you know, the circulatory system's more or less doing very similar things, it only changes in response to extreme kind of stuff. Uh, mostly otherwise it, it works pretty smoothly, you know, right if you're running around and you're pumping a lot of blood It does something but otherwise it keeps things pretty steady. It's like yeah, but you know your um, You know your body's systems that, that, that tell you when to sleep and, and get you tired um, Go through kind of these longer oscillations where adenosine builds up throughout the day and you get your circadian ultradian rhythms the sensitivity of light and whatever So I, no, not all of these are consistent all the time. Your digestive system turns on and off-ish, right? So, and and so on and so forth. And as you look at it, right, well, one of the reasons that your mood might be, you know, and I don't know, people listening probably range the gamut from incredibly steady to, to, you know, maybe cycling through various different, different experiences, you know, even within the same day, um, it's probably, a, a you know, large different contingent of people and, and how they experience mood and how frequently it changes and the intensity and depth and duration of different moods. It's, it's a very personal thing, but to the extent that, that mood is out of whack, I mean, you know, the, the, the typical explanation is that we live in this <laughs> bizarre, World, evolutionarily speaking, which it is, where like instead of going and like hunting buffalo and and you know digging in the ground to get potatoes or berries off of bushes, um, yeah, you know we're like typing things into computers and getting direct deposit into our checking accounts, and then we're using credit cards to buy things from Amazon that show up at our house. It's it's a weird world that we live in you know uh, speaking as a, as a you know as biological entities right so yeah we could see of course our mood could get way out of whack i mean there's you know there's, there's, there's not such a high frequency of so much addictive and crazy stuff out in the world and also just the densities of, of cities and uh and, and especially now that the networkedness of the world and on the internet and the communications and stuff it's it's weird, it's crazy, right? So you could see how the mood, you know, thing could, could potentially for a lot of people be uh, you know, something that you you know is not the, the, the world that our ancestors were raised in and that we evolved in. So it makes sense. But okay, if your mood is just a regulatory system. Well, I'm not even saying it is, I'm saying it's interesting to think about. But if it was just a regulatory system, if we unprivileged it, if instead of saying this is like a really special thing mood, your mood, how you feeling, you know, it's like, okay, it's just like, you know, whatever, like, right, Um, if you, uh, if you get bored, you go do stuff, right, you get a little nervous, or you get, you know, tired, you go, you you maybe back off of something, or you go rest, right, this might be just another regulatory system, albeit um, one that has more potential to misfire, and feels worse, if it's like not in sync with what you want and um and we live in this just bizarre world where you know our blood is circulating quite similarly to how it used to circulate you know that's not any different but the patterns of how we interact with our environment and and what we do to change our moods and the options we have to change our moods are way different way 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 different than even a hundred years ago let alone gazillions of years ago but okay what if but if your mood is just another regulatory system? Well, it would strike me then that you could do some thinking stuff and you could also take actions, of course, uh, to change your mood, which I think is what most people do. They say, okay, what am I going to do about my mood? Um, they say, what am I, you know, am I going to go for a run? Am I going to talk to my friend? Am I going to do whatever? But this is where I had an interesting idea. And I know we built up this long chain of premises and stuff. But I think this is really interesting. All of those things that you would do to change your mood are producing sensory data. Huh. Running is producing sensory data. Stop and think about that for a second. Running is producing sensory data. If You go for a run. Footfall, 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 footfall. Feel the wind as you run, the sounds of it. Maybe you got music on, maybe you can hear the, the traffic or whatever. You know, if you're running in a city, Your eyes are taking in things, the scenery is changing faster than normal at a walking pace because you're running, right? You're talking to your friend or your mom or dad or whoever on a phone call. You're getting auditory data, you're listening to them. Isn't that weird? We don't think about it that way. We tend to model our actions, and maybe our thoughts is related to our mood, but we don't model sensory data as related to our mood, but every action you take, I think about that, yeah, I think every action you take pretty much is generating sensory data, especially if you did the Buddhist thing, you classify the brain, the sensory organ, I'm not going there, it's not the point, you're there, everything's sensory data at that point, hmm, isn't that interesting, isn't that interesting, the, the implications are legion, By the way. Um, But okay. Where did this come from? Uh, And what can we maybe do with it? Well, I was thinking about aesthetics and I was thinking about sensory perception and regulatory systems. I I don't know. I think about stuff like this. It's actually an important part of my job. It helps me invent things um, maybe that other people haven't thought about. So you got to kind of try to connect ideas that most people don't connect and kind of go down some. Some rabbit trails other people don't go down and say, ah, so let me take this kind of bizarre idea and just kind of like, all right, if this was, if this was how it was, what would be true? Um, you do a lot of that and most of it's fruitless and you don't get anything out of it. Sometimes you get amazing stuff out of it and sometimes you just get a philosophical discussion you can have on a podcast, which is what this one is. But I started thinking about this and I'm like, okay, what could I do, micro or macro, if instead of modeling things as actions and thoughts to change or navigate or interact with mood, if I modeled it as sensory data? Well, now we're on an aesthetics question, right? So what kind of aesthetics, what kind of beautiful or pleasing or harmonious data would be useful to move your mood? And that's potentially useful in a short term mode. It's potentially useful in a short term mode. Like, oh, like, you know, if something is, if you're having kind of just a drab day, it's kind of just like blah, not terrible, it's just blah. It's like, okay, kind of sensory data would be some mix of, of, of beautiful and, and excitatory. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Also on a larger scale, I haven't explored this idea as much, albeit I think it's the more important of the two ideas. I, I, I think this goes a long way potentially to explaining you know, some of how people interact with for instance, material possessions, is that if, you know, I'm thinking back to, like, immediately after World War II, I I read a little bit of the history of those times, and, you know, a lot of people in America, it it was really a boom time, the GI Bill, a lot of people went to college, um, a lot of the rest of the world was destroyed, um. So America was a lion's share of the world's GDP. I I don't remember if America had more than the rest of the world combined on GDP. I know GDP is not a perfect metric, but, you know, uh, like people were getting rich. They were coming up in the world. And a lot of people that were like very, very poor, very, very poor, we're talking, you know, like maybe no electricity and running water and stuff like that when they were growing up, uh, suddenly were able to upgrade quite quickly. Okay. Now we get into plumbing. Now we have electricity. Cool. Oh, wow. Now, now it's new appliance has been invented. Let's add that appliance to, to, you know, what we have, whether that's a better stove or a, a washing machine or whatever, whatever years these, these things came out and they're just like upgrading. And okay, let's get a better table. Let's get a better bed. Let's get better sheets. Let's get better clothes. So you could see that the aesthetics all around them were constantly improving. And, you know, I saw that when I lived in, in China, um, you know, around 2010, I was in Beijing, um, for a few years. Uh, it was an interest, The most interesting for me is I wasn't there continuously. Sometimes I'd be back in the States for like six months or whatever. And then I'd be back in China and like, I'd walk down this like one little street in Beijing. That was like, yeah, like a slightly hip street. It was like kind of cool. There's some cool restaurants on it. It's like not the super high end, but it's like a nice street in this, in this district. And like, like, literally, every time I walk down, there, there's like maybe like 40 shops and, and, and stores and restaurants on the street. Like, like one or two of them would be upgraded. Like, almost it feels like every month or two. But when I was gone for six months, I'd come back and it'd be like, the street would be different. You'd have to like kind of get your bearings, right? Because something had been upgraded, renovated, something new had been built, and, 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 and they had like made things better. And you got this sense of energy and buzz of like visually things are improving right? And, and auditorily, maybe there's a better sound system in the restaurants playing music and, and whatever. And maybe, you know, you're wearing nicer clothes, um, both for the perception that gives other people, but also like they, like feel nicer on your skin, right? So you could see just the aesthetics. We're just getting upgraded all the time. And I think that does some interesting things to one's psychology, right? So, there's a bunch of other things. People talk about the hedonic treadmill and, you know, you kind of reset back to your original happiness set point, and whatever. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. I mean, you know, it's, I haven't actually looked into it and checked the replication levels on it. Like there's like, on the one hand, there's like kind of some folk wisdom there. They're like, oh, it seems like that could be true. But on the other hand, it's kind of like, wait, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound entirely right. Are you sure it's the exact same baseline? Are you sure it's not like a higher baseline, but whatever. haven't looked into it, but yeah, I think this is really interesting as, you know, a mechanism, right? So if you're a philosopher, someone that loves wisdom, I'll call myself a, I'll only call myself an amateur historian. Uh, I'll call myself a science enthusiast rather than a scientist, but philosopher's open to everybody. And don't bother saying amateur philosopher. If you love wisdom, right? Philosophia, then you're a philosopher, right? That's It doesn't mean you gotta be good at it and doesn't mean you have to read Kant, who's also overrated, I think, but, uh, finally, eh, whatever, I'm not getting into it, I'll start ranting. Um, there's some nice things in there, but, eh, I finally got around to it, it was like, this isn't that good. Um, so, but, like, whatever, and if you like Kant, it's great, some people like it a lot. Um, but, you know, some people are philosophers, and, and, and maybe material conditions, don't matter as much and it's about the ideas and whatever else most people are not philosophers really they they, they like want to have like nice lives they want to like you know the, the median person wants to like have a stable job have enough cash be with somebody they love have some kids have their kids have a nice life have good security for them get good education for the kids not have any money problems You know, be protected when things go wrong, have decent access to, you know, things like medicine, like good, good shops to go buy stuff at, good food. Eh, Most people don't care about the super abstract ideas, deep nature of reality, deep, getting deep into the scientific data, you know, really considering all kinds of arguments from, you know, everything from moral philosophy and ontology and whatever, what's true, epistemology. Most people don't care. Um, And that's fine. And that's fine. Um, but if you don't care and you're not building some kind of moral standard or intellectual standard or creed for yourself or, or really taking joy in a pure expression of ideas or inventing or whatever, if you're just going about daily life, it actually seems totally reasonable that if you were background filtering that your aesthetics were improving more or less month over month, year over year, then like that's like a actually a pretty good and healthy signal that life is getting better. Not entirely. Could be missing a big part of the puzzle. You know, maybe you got some sneaky bad habit that's creeping up on you where you're getting enough material prosperity, but you're neglecting one thing or you're you're drinking too much and you're building up a bad drinking habit or whatever. I mean it's not perfect. But actually, like, you know, like seeing your aesthetics improve over long periods of time, continuously, more or less, uh, probably filters back through your senses and your perception, and probably in your regulatory systems, and you're like, I'm doing all right. Things are getting more solid, more beautiful. My clothes are getting more comfortable. My food is getting uh, more reliable and better at showing up. Um, my appliances are getting less noisy, right, over time. Uh, you know, my car is, is is driving better, is handling better on the road, is more responsive, is prettier to look at, is more comfortable to sit in, the seats are nicer. It actually seems totally reasonable, I, I could crack a joke, but the cup holders are getting bigger and we're drinking more soda or something, I don't know, something like that was the joke that I didn't crack, but I could've. Big Gulp, for the non-Americans out there, by the way, the Big Gulp is... A, amusing phenomenon from the American convenience store. It's like the largest soda. I'm not sure you could make a cup of soda that's bigger than that. That's not likely to explode on like a physics level. <laughs> like, like it's like it's about as much soda as you could fit in a cup. for the non-Americans, the Americans are all aware of this. It's a big gulp. Um, but yeah, I, I actually see no no problem with this. I, you know, I was a little bit uh, austere, uh, a little bit ascetic. Uh, for a lot of my life not all of it. Uh, I have an appreciation of of beauty and aesthetics and from time to time I think it's critically important you know as part of a work of art or um, as part of an experience you're creating to make something memorable or to make a lesson stick. I can certainly appreciate uh, stories that are both beautiful and true. I'm a little bit skeptical of stories that are beautiful but untrue um, but fair enough. Um, but I've also gone through some, some, some phases of like just being a pretty austere guy, like, yeah, I don't really care about any of these aesthetics, and, and I haven't settled my opinion on this yet, both on the macro level as to whether this is a useful guidepost of optimizing the things that interact with our senses, because in my, I don't know, moral code, philosophy, whatever, my kind of raison, uh, the reason I do things, like, I, I actually don't really care um, about my own personal aesthetics and beauty, except insofar as it's instrumentally useful. But maybe I should. Um, but maybe I should. Um, first off, it might be instrumentally useful, but even if it wasn't, maybe I should. So that's kind of interesting. But then on a local level, on a local level, like, you know, like when you're in a bad mood, it's very possible to have like a very nice coffee and like a very nice something you're about to eat and to like pay no attention to it and get no enjoyment from it and, and you just remain in a bad mood this seems kind of foolish. This seems kind of foolish. Um, likewise, um, you know, if you're trying to, you know, get your nutrition right and things like that, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that, that different people have different biochemical pleasure responses to things, um, over and beyond, um, over and beyond, uh, you you know, any sort of, you know, sensory experience, just just like the amount of biochemical enjoyment that you get out of things. Howell and Ray um, were big in, in into researching ADHD. They wrote a couple books, Driven by Distraction and Delivered from Distraction, if I recall correctly. second one's pretty good. It's worth reading, uh, d- Delivered from Distraction. Um, I, I believe that one of the things that they postulated, I don't have it open in front of me, but I believe that they said that. Um, some people with ADHD seem to get less, uh, less of a kind of a biochemical kick uh, from certain activities, so that's why they might do a little more act out, a little more. And I think it's a virtual certainty that um, that a lot of people that, for instance, overeat are getting less satiety and pleasure signals from their food. Um, some of that's probably just like, eh, well, biochemical dice. You know, the genetic lottery didn't come up that good for you. There, you might always just have to deal with that, and mediate that. But some of that can be just probably slowing down a little bit and paying attention to the food or the coffee probably means drawing more enjoyment from it. I mean, you could try this, you could, instead of scarfing something down uh, while you're in the middle of something else, you could take a five or 10 minutes and just like sit and, you know, be kind of thankful for your food. It's kind of um, expressing kind of gratitude for your food is is often associated with organized religion in the United States because it's it's common for for, uh, religious folk to say a prayer I don't think that has to be the case because Japan is a doesn't have the same types of, of organized monotheistic religion that the West does, but they say itadakimasu uh, before they eat a meal. It's just a general appreciation, kind of gets them into a zone. I think that's very healthy. Um, I think that's very nice. So you could just go, you know, itadakimasu, pause for a second, look at the food, kind of take it in with your eyes, eat a little slowly. So, you know, on that level, you know, having more aesthetic experience is a short-term way, or sensory, you know, tuning the sensory data that you get to then tune your mood, which is then a regulatory system which will suggest certain actions and patterns of thought and doing things. I don't know, this seems kind of sound. So, I mean, regardless if you accept my classification that I've demoted mood from the most importantest thing to like, yeah, it's just right there with your circulatory system. You want the blood running, you want your mood calibrated correctly. I didn't exactly do that, but something something like that. Hey, regardless of whether you buy that little taxonomic distinction, some interesting implications there for both the short-term tuning of mood via aesthetics and sensory data, as well as the long-term as a Indicator or confirmation that things are being done correctly potentially also a dangerous game You know don't go deep into debt to make things beautiful, and then get all your beautiful stuff Repossessed right so it's, it's more nuanced than this. We're not covering every single base, but I think those are a couple very interesting Implications if you bought that that chain of logic, so feel free to have a listen to this one again um, as a side note, I like the Wikipedia app um I, I feel like the it's, it's quite fast, and uh, and just don't have the friction of using a browser. So I like to have the Wikipedia app on my iPhone sometimes. So feel free to, uh, to f- uh, hit play on this one again if you're curious, maybe at high speed with the Wikipedia app open, you can put in taxonomy, aesthetics, you can look into uh, sense, sensory data, perception, and so on, um, you can look up some of the regulatory systems and homeostasis and whatever, if you want to go deeper. But uh, either way, give it some thought. Sensory data, regulatory systems, aesthetics as a way to maybe navigate and bridge those over a short interval and longer intervals of time. I think there's potentially some profit here, and I haven't really heard anyone talking about it. I think it's quite interesting. Uh, Thank you for listening to the podcast. As always, it's a pleasure spending some time and exploring some thoughts with you. Very thankful. Um, to have such uh, such great listeners and such great people around UltraWorking to check this sort of stuff out. And uh, until next time, thank you, good luck, Godspeed, and here's wishing you uh, much uh, beauty and enjoyment and meaning. All right, until next time.